My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Shakespeare said this, to be is to do. All right, pretty sound. And he got that from the scriptures, and we'll be talking about that today. But to be is to do. In fact, if you be honest, you will do honest things. So he was saying it comes from the inside. Well, modern psychology has one up that, and they say, well, to do is to be. And so we, they place the emphasis on doing, not on being. That's why we can have politicians in office who are one way and another way, and they change with the wind. Then there's another version. Dooby-dooby-doo. <laughs> Frank Sinatra. <laughs> but I grew up in a uh, Christian home. My dad was a pastor. In fact, he was one of those independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, sin-chasing, devil-hating, uh, squirt-gun-totens in case he met the flames of hell, uh, Baptist, uh, in, in, and that's what I grew up in. And we weren't allowed to drink, dance, smoke, cuss, chew, or go with girls that do. <laughs> but I did them. Uh, you know, we weren't allowed... It's interesting because when we lived in Arizona... We had a pool, and we were allowed to wear shorts, and we had a pool. My dad was the college teacher, and we had activities over at our house and, and people swimming together, and we had a great time. But I moved to the Northwest, and when he became a pastor from, you know, just a teacher in Arizona to a pastor in Oregon, all of a sudden those things we couldn't do. We couldn't go what was called mixed bathing, and we couldn't uh, play cards. We couldn't watch TV or movies. And we had this list of things that we couldn't do. We did them anyway. <laughs> I was a pastor's kid. You know, what do you expect? The pastor's kids are usually the worst ones. In fact, in high school, I stole a car. Yeah, grand theft. My goodness. So, um, you know, we... Uh, we were required to be in church anytime the doors were open. I mean, that was the way you pleased God. In fact, not only were we required to be in church, we had to wear a full suit and tie every time. And that's what I grew up in. So I decided I was going to go to a Bible college. And it's interesting because when you go to a Bible college, this particular Bible college was supported by pastors who had all of the same mindset. 
And so all the students who went there had this mindset. And so going to that Bible college was either a release of freedom or it was even more bondage, depending on what your convictions were. And so in Bible college, we weren't allowed to have hair that even touched our ears. Now, in my dad's church, we could. But in Bible college, we couldn't. In my dad's church, women were allowed to wear pants. But in Bible college, they weren't allowed to wear pants. In fact, they had to wear skirts down to their knees, at least. In my dad's church, women needed... Well, I shouldn't say that. Women were allowed to wear makeup. Okay? (laughs) My opinion is, if the barn needs paint, paint it. Okay? (laughs) But anyway... Uh, the uh, so the rules would shift depending on where you were and at first this was great because my wife and I swallowed that kind of theology hook, line, and sinker and we believed it and in fact we believed it so well that we believed that God had some really good people on his team Because when we left Bible college, we went out and we taught it for several years among the youth that we were uh, teaching and among the young people that we were teaching and among the choirs that we worked with and among the adult groups that we worked together. And we were doing this for God. We were so proud of all of the things that we were giving up for God. Hmm. We were proud of our... What is that thing that God hates most? pride oh well that's we didn't talk about that one all right but anyway after going through a lot of garbage in our lives in 86 i remember saying to kathy i said you know there's got to be more to the christian life than this because we had done all the things we were faithful in our giving We were always there when the doors were open, even if we were runny-nosed sick. I remember getting up and teaching a Sunday school class and being up all night throwing up. And still teaching because God's got me on his team. I remember dragging my kids to church at all hours of the day and night because the church doors were open. And this is what you do if you're godly. Um, I remember guys like Pastor James. He was one of the liberals. (laughs) And if you know a little bit of his history, he would say he would laugh at that. But we had been on this treadmill and things just were not getting better for us. And so we asked God to show us what it is that we needed to do. I remember calling a missionary friend of mine, and I said, Bruce, I'm ready for God to kill me and take me home, because I am tired of this Christian life. This is stupid. And he said, don't do anything, Keith. Hang in there. Uh, You know, but that was just the way I felt. I just wanted to hang it up for Jesus and say, no more. And we wonder why people turn away from the church. You know, I had, the life I had been taught was completely frustrating. It was horrible. 
from that point, God put us on a journey. And we began hearing of freedom in Christ. And so we began to hear it, learn it, and we began to apply it. It was a process. And in the process, we came across the book of Ephesians and the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians was written to a group of people who had been caught up by men called Judaizers. And these Judaizers were Jewish teachers who came in after Paul had presented to them the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ and said, it's great that you're a Christian. Now you have to do this. I remember growing up, even in college, they would say the best thing you can do for a person when they get, get them saved is get them baptized that day and then get them working for God. They distilled it into six words, win them, wet them, and work them. That was what they said. And that was what they taught us. And that's what I grew up on. That you can't, your service to God is more important than your relationship to him. And so these Jewish teachers taught the same thing. They taught them that in order to be fully saved, they had to keep the law. So Paul... uh, is confronting this issue, and I'll call it Galatianism for the ease of this message. And what's interesting is we read about that happening in Galatians, but we don't realize that it's happening today. It's interesting how it's displayed. You can turn on Christian TV and hear Galatianism. You hear how these various teaching pastors or pastors come on TV and they want you to subscribe to their belief system when in actuality they're enslaving you to their teaching just like the Judaizers of old. You hear it in terms like second blessing or signs, wonders, miracles, uh, gifts from heaven, healings, and all this, and uh, spiritual levels that you have to attain. And I hear this all the time. You can go to the next level with God. What's God on an elevator or something? I, don't th- I didn't see that. I missed it. You know, but it's not just the TV preachers. You see it in churches that are not on TV. Churches with archaic doctrines that teach that you have to confess your sins in order to be in a right relationship with God. uh, Churches that teach that you have to follow a certain ritual, that you have to have things in a certain order every every Sunday. You can't. You got to have two songs, and then the announcements, and then the preaching, and then the offering, and then three more songs, and then we can go home. But they have these kind of rituals. Did you notice that we're not having the Lord's table today? Oh no. I hope we can get along, but we're not. We're choosing to do things a little differently today because we're shaking it up a little bit. Because our God is not a God of ritual. He's a God of freedom. 
And so, even the liberal churches that don't preach the gospel preach this uh, bondage to you. They say, just go out and love your fellow man and go live a better life and be happy. And it's like, oh my goodness, I don't want to throw up right now. You know, <laughs> but, but this is precisely the error that Paul is confronting in the church. To combat the error of adding to God's grace. You know, uh, Paul begins in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, page 892 in your chair Bibles if you don't have one. But the verses will be here up on the screen if you don't want to pick it up and actually read what the scriptures say. You can look it up here. You can, he begins with a challenge. He says, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you really know what the law actually says? And so uh, most people don't know. A lot of people today think they know what the Bible says and they live their lives according to a pseudo-Bible. You know, they come up with their own verses. Here's one. God helps those who help themselves. (laughs) That sounds good. Actually, that was a quote from the Poor Farmer's Almanac written by Benjamin Franklin as he was describing the sloth of laziness when you're not weeding your gardens and you let the weeds take over. In that context, he's right. Yeah, he's, that's true. Yeah, in that context. But it's not in the Bible. Here's another one. God will never give you more than you can handle. Oh, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Well, it's not. In fact, these well-meaning people who tell you this are misguided. Because sometimes God does give you more than you can handle, so you'll drop everything and turn directly to Him. Here's one by our own president. I love quoting Trump. (laughs) Anyway, never been to envy. Uh, uh, He said it was in Proverbs. It's not. He's just as ignorant as a lot of other Christians when it comes to the Bible. And so it's, 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 it's unfortunate. But we Christians of today who have been armed with our online Bibles filled with multiple selections of translations with study helps by our favorite Bible teacher are just as ignorant because we swallow the bait of Galatianism that churches and pastors and teachers and preachers throw out to us. Because we add extra things to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, this is why Paul, at the beginning of Galatians, says this, chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. In 4.22, the scripture says, The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise, but the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. 
Now, in your study notes, there's the scriptures there, but I'll just kind of uh, summarize what Paul was referring to. In Genesis chapter 15, God took Abraham aside, took him out at night, and said, See these stars here? One day you'll have more children than there are stars in the sky. And the scripture says at that point that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So Abraham and Sarah decide to help God out because, you know, God needs help. And so Abraham takes Sarah's handmaiden. Who, by the way, it was Sarah's idea, and Abraham gladly accepted. I don't know why, but they thought they were going to help God out. And Hagar has a son named Ishmael, and Ishmael is born. And as soon as Ishmael is born, uh, Sarah and Hagar go at it, like women do. And so they, Sarai sends Hagar out. And for 12 years she remained in the wilderness. And while she was there, the Holy Spirit of God ministered to her. And in fact, she named a well after the all-seeing God. Because she understood that God took care of her. You see, even in our mistakes, God takes care of the people who we foist our mistakes on because he loves them. And we'll talk about that later. So as, as Hagar is gone with her son Ishmael and Sarah is home with Abram in uh, Hebron, about 12 years later, they move to Sodom or near Sodom and Gomorrah because Lot had just gone to, to Sodom. And so they're close to Sodom and Gomorrah. And two men come up. And Abraham recognizes that these are just not ordinary men, that these men are supernatural from God. And so they come to him and they, they tell him, they say, Abraham, you and your wife are going to have a son about this time next year. And they hear this laughter. And they look in the tent and say, why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. You know, like a kid with chocolate chip all over his mouth. Did you eat that cookie? <laughs> you know, it, well, we heard you laugh. I didn't laugh. We heard you. And they said, well, you're going to have a son next year when we come around. And so Abraham and Sarah have a son. The next year they come around. And the son's name is Isaac. Interesting, the name Isaac means laughter. And so Paul goes, tells them this story. So I, I tell you that story because this is what Paul is referring to when, uh, the, when the Bible says that God did for Abraham and Sarah exactly what he said he would do. And so in Galatians, Paul talks about uh, them, and he says, These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia, because she and her husband, she and her children, live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. And she is the free woman, and she is our mother, as Isaiah said. Rejoice, old childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now, sir, now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. 
And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. So Paul is speaking not to the Galatian Christians at this point, because they don't even have a Bible. They're new believers. They may have never heard this story unless it was taught in their history classes. But the Judaizers most certainly knew this story because they were children of Abraham and not children of Ishmael. And they held that as a proud badge of honor that they wore and they were teaching. So Paul is kind of getting on the Judaizers case at this point. He's saying, get rid of this servant woman and embrace the work of God. So what happens, again, and I'll repeat this, is when they were teaching, they were making these Galatian believers slaves to their teaching. And when you decide that you are going to believe everything I say, I am making you my slave. And if you and I never have a disagreement because you disagree or you agree with everything I say, then only one person is doing the thinking. So you are smart enough to think of these things on your own, and you are smart enough to come to the conclusions that the Holy Spirit gives you. That's his role. And God will never contradict himself. So don't be a slave to anyone's teaching. No Christian has a handle on all of theology, not even me. Okay, so don't believe things that I tell you unless they check out with the word of God. Now, after going to church for years, this is what happens when you're believing a teaching or a church teaching or a minister's teaching. Not only do you become a slave to that teaching, but it makes you miserable. And you wonder why people would rather go to the lake. I mean, or you wonder why the Christian boy who grew up in the pastor's home would steal a car. You see, extra effort just doesn't work. You know, I've heard, I heard this this week on a Christian radio station. Just fake it till you make it. Well, what if you're faking the wrong thing? You're never going to make it. So the scripture says in verse 30, it says, to what do the scriptures say about that? It says, get rid of the slave and her son. For the son of the slave woman will never share or will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. You know, what does that mean? It means to quit trusting in your self-effort. There's nothing that you can do that will ever make God love you more. Nothing you can do will ever make God love you less. God does not smile on you when you're good and frown on you when you're sad. He loves you with an everlasting love that's larger than you could ever imagine. In fact, um, 
God loves us so much. I like to compare it between an ocean and a thimble. And saying, my love for God is this thimble. And God's love for me is this ocean. And if we tried to put our match, match that up, it just doesn't work. So, slavery, freedom. You know, it reminds me of a dog we used to have. Her name was Dusty. When Dusty was a pup, she used to love to go on walks, and we'd take her for a walk nearly every day. And, but sometimes she would escape from the backyard. She was a clever dog. And she would get out. And sometimes we'd spend a half hour or more, all five of us, you know, my wife driving the van and us kids tagging along, finding, trying to get her. And we're going from neighborhood to neighborhood and, and we get right up to her and all of a sudden she'd take off and just like, <laughs> you know, and she just had the greatest time running away from us. Finally, we caught her because she was so tired. And, you know, but one time we brought the leash along with us and we were we were chasing her and chasing her, and she saw the leash. She ran back to us just as quickly as she could. She thought, oh, they're going to take me for a walk. I want to get on that leash. And she, she came back, and from that point on, if she ever escaped, we would just jangle the leash, and she'd come running back. Absolutely true story. That dog was so dumb. Anyway... <laughs> You know, but that's what the Galatian believers did. They kept running back to the leash of the law because they were insecure in their freedom. I'm going to share a scripture from next week. Pastor James gave me permission, so that's okay. So next week, we're going to read this scripture. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Wasn't that great? Thanks, James. You know, but when Dusty was an adult dog, this is another funny story. We lived across the street from Pacific University. And I remember my daughter, Leah, who's here today. She said, Mom, Mom, I'm so worried about Dusty. I think she has cancer. Why do you say that? Well, she's getting fatter and fatter and she's not eating her food. And we said, okay. All right, well, we'll see. We didn't have a lot of money at that time to take her to the vet. You know, we were prepared that if she died, you know, we would take care of it then. But, you know, hey, we're not the best parents in the world. We did the best we could. Anyway, um, but one day, about two weeks later, a girl from Pacific comes over and knocks on our door. It's something to do with a Bible study or something. And she saw Dusty, and Dusty, of course, came to the door and licked her and said... And she said to us, she said, well, is this your dog? Yeah, that's our dog. Oh, well, every day about 11 o'clock, she comes over to the university and we all give her table scraps and she's there for a couple hours and she's just, you know, she's having a great meal. Well, that's why she's fat. <laughs> you know, she had learned to walk in her freedom. She did. And she got all the food she wanted. She was living the abundant life. Just fat, dumb, and happy. You know? But the Galatian believers had turned from their sin. 
and turned to Christ. And then they became yoked again to sin when they were trying to follow the law. And so Paul told them to quit running to the leash. To get rid of that thinking. And so I ask you today, what are you putting your trust in? Where is your faith? As Kevin said earlier, he said, you know, Sunrise is that serving church. Why do we serve? Just for the goodness? Because it's an altruistic thing to do? You know, why do we give? Do we give because we have a need? Do we serve the homeless because there are homeless? Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. Those are good reasons to serve, but they're not the right ones. The right reason to serve is because you love Jesus more than anything else. And so, we are the church that serves. But why are we the church that serves? We're not the church that serves because there's a need. We are the church that serves because we love Jesus Christ more than anything else in all of the world. Amen? So what are you putting your faith in? What are you putting your relationship with God in? Is it in your daily devotions? Those are good. Is it in your attendance at church once a week? Maybe twice a week if you're in a group? Maybe three times a week if you're serving somewhere? Is that where your relationship to Christ comes in and that's all there is? Or are you walking daily in him? Talked about the first 10 years of my life and how we, of our Christian service and how that we were involved in serving God and serving others and the churches that we served at. The people kind of adopted the same mentality as the mentality we thought of as God. Because when we failed, the people didn't like us. When I lost my job, the people didn't like us. It was like, oh, it must be sin in his life. We went to a church in Phoenix, Arizona, where the pastor who had gone through similar circumstances began teaching and preaching to us about the finished work of Christ. And he taught his people that the most important thing in all of your life is not going to church. It's not serving others. It's not a vital prayer life. It's not reading the Bible day after day. It's not memorizing scriptures. It's not being here every time the doors are open. It's not not wearing shorts. It's not wearing, you know, not wearing pants. It's none of those things. Your, your relationship with Christ is the absolute most important thing in all of this world. And so that brings us to two questions. One... Do you know Jesus in your heart? Is he your Lord and Savior? And secondly, if he is, do you serve him or do you serve because there's a need? When we accepted that truth, God began a work in us. And it didn't happen overnight, and it won't, because I've spent a lifetime trying to get rid of those things that I used to do so I could make God happy. 
But when you accept that truth, it'll begin a lifetime of change. And you'll begin serving out of a heart of joy rather than obligation or need. And this will give you freedom greater than you will ever know. You don't have to run to the leash. You know, um, this past week I was reading the scripture and on my Bible app, a scripture popped up. It's this next one here from Second Corinthians. It says, for Christ, for it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us. Because we are absolutely convinced that he has given us his life for all of us. This means all died with him so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him, the one who died for us and now lives again. You know, in a few minutes, we're going to have you make a decision. If you're not a believer, we're going to ask you to, we're going to introduce you to Christ. We're going to show you how you can have this freedom from law. But maybe you've been in church all your life, and this is what you've known. I'm telling you folks, based on the scriptures, there is more to Christianity than doing all of these things. And it starts by giving those things up and turning your life over to Jesus Christ and Him alone. In just a minute, we'll be taking an offering. But we're not going to be taking an offering because we need the money. We're going to be taking an offering because taking an offering is a tangible example of you showing your love to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe me, you guys are generous. We received a huge offering last week. And God has always been faithful to supply every penny for the needs here at Sunrise. And if... I mean, yeah, he'll take your money even if it's given with the wrong heart. But God wants your heart. He doesn't want your wallet. And so I'm not going to ask you what's in your wallet. I'm going to ask you what's in your heart. And this morning you have an opportunity to turn your heart over completely to him.